Welcome to episode eight of Redboard Rewind. Today, my special guest is Gabby Gaudet. We look back at Keeneland last weekend and we talk Arlington Chippers, a possible bias, and a Philly Gabby is excited to see in the future. This is Redboard Rewind. to introduce my special guest, Gabby Godet. Gabby, how are you doing today? I'm doing well. Thank you, Spencer. Happy to be on. Opening weekend at Keelan, how was your weekend? It was busy. Very, very busy, but it was awesome, too. I mean, incredible racing, full fields, and a lot to kind of, like, go back and, and deconstruct. It was just a very exciting weekend overall, as you usually get for Fall Stars weekend at Keelan. I was surprised, too, with how many shippers were coming in from Arlington and winning. Is that usually something that you have seen in the past, or is Arlington kind of like the new kid on the block for coming in and shipping in and winning on these big weekends? Um, we do often see outfits come from Arlington. Um, just a couple off of the top of my head, like Chris Block, Ingrid Mason, um, Neil Pesson. There are a lot of trainers that come in both in the spring and the fall, um, and, and had success. So it wasn't that big of a, su- a surprise, but I think the way that they ran over the weekend um, successfully it was a little bit of a surprise. They, they don't often um, are, are that successful, um, especially on like full stars weekend, but it, there is a very strong presence from Arlington most of the time um, in both meets. For this upcoming week, when you see an Arlington shipper coming in, are you going to upgrade them, or is it kind of just like you have to look throughout throughout the whole race still as a whole? You still have to look at the race as a whole. I think the trickiest thing from Arlington is the synthetic to the dirt shippers. Um, a lot of the time, you have to rely on pedigree, and sometimes it's feast or famine. I can't. I, to this day, I still haven't been able to figure out and predict correctly um, which. Arlington shippers going from synthetic to dirt specifically um, are going to be the successful ones. Uh, So, yeah, I think you just moving forward still have to um, consider them, but look at the race as a whole and also consider that the track may have changed from last weekend moving forward um, because we have gotten some rain in Lexington. I know we only have you for a limited time today. How about we get started on these concept races that we have uh, come up with? Race number six at Keelan on Friday, seven furlongs, optional claiming 75,000, non-winners of two lifetime. The winner was number seven, Lucky Jingle. And I just thought it was interesting with this horse was that Grand Motion, he's been doing such a good job of switching surfaces, uh, 87 starts in the last two years, 21%. And this one had a nice top and bottom pedigree, I thought, for the dirt. And the number four, the favorite sound machine, was coming off of a decent-sized layoff after a big win first time out. Usually you don't like to see horses with big wins like that go to the bench. What were your thoughts on this race? I really did think that the favorite was going to be vulnerable in this race. I mean, she clearly has a lot of talent. 
she popped first time out. Um, but sometimes those races where two-year-olds win by a significant margin but still beat a bad field um, can lead you astray. And, and that's what I kind of saw from her first performance. She beat restricted Florida bread competition in July at Gulfstream. Uh, and this was a big step up in class. And not only that, she also had to ship up here. So I thought that she was a vulnerable favorite. I didn't land on the right horse um, going into the race. But in hindsight, this was strictly a uh, a race where you just needed information. Because I talked to Graham Motion in his camp prior to the race, just a couple minutes before in the paddock. And they said that they thought so highly of this filly that they actually nominated her, nominated her to the Jessamine, but he had the opportunity to train her and work her on the dirt at Fair Hill, and he thought that she could even be better on on the dirt surface. Um, so, and he also said that the saddle slipped in the PG Johnson last time out, so he thought that it was a complete toss out of a race. Um, so this was a race where you know the connections really thought highly of the winner. It made sense in hindsight, and you just needed those little nuggets of information to maybe solidify your opinion. It's uh, interesting with the saddle slipping the PG Johnson, because I didn't see that anywhere in a note. It's always good to listen to Gabby in the pre-show in the paddock to kind of get those useful nuggets. Another thing for the favorite sound machine, did you find it interesting that, or that it's even more vulnerable when they don't get to work over the track when they're shipping up from Florida, or is it kind of doesn't matter? I think it just depends on the horse. Um, with her, I don't know. I think it was more so her facing a legitimate field this go around. Uh, I don't really think it was any much to do with, uh, you know, shipping in on the surface. Although I will say the surface is very different. The main track is very different this year as opposed to the spring and even last fall. Um, it seems like it might be a bit of a looser surface. And some horses haven't been getting over it, even horses who have liked the surface before in the past. And I think it's probably because of the lack of rain that we've had for two months in Kentucky. That's probably something to consider with Sound Machine. But I really just think that she was stepping up in class and, and you know, her, her true color showed. Both one-turn and two-turn races on the main track, I found it interesting. There were trends um, when I was going back and looking at these races and the, the replays. Most of the winners on the dirt won from outside positions and stalking and closing. Whereas historically speaking, Keeneland has been a track that's favored, has been kind to speed types. Um, and we could see that that was definitely not the case this past weekend. Do you think that has to do with the lack of rain or something within the track itself? I, like I said, I think it was just a looser surface. Usually, Keeneland is a, a much tighter surface. And it just seemingly, it, I think, you know, speed types just had a, a little bit of a tougher time on the front end, continuing their speed. Moving along to race number eight from Friday at Keeneland. It was a grade two Phoenix. The winner was the number eight Engage. He had a 98 winning buyer. Where did you end up going in this race, Gabby? Going in, I loved Promises Fulfilled, and obviously that didn't pan out, unfortunately. Um, but this is a very interesting race to deconstruct as well. First of all, this race ran more than a second slower 
than it did last year when Promises Fulfilled won. So to me, that goes to show you that it was a different surface than last fall. It was maybe a more trying surface. I also didn't think that the inside paths were really the place to be. Like I said, I watched many dirt replays on the dirt and it, most of the time the winners came from a stalking or a closing position outside. So if you take that into consideration, um, promises fulfilled, he was on the rail, he was on the lead, he was pressed the entire time um, by zip on by. Uh, so, you know, coming out of it, you might be able to have some excuses, but he's also had a really long summer and maybe, you know, I, I don't think it's necessarily that he was a better three-year-old. I think he's had a really long summer. And even looking at him in the paddock, um, he's a horse that has a, a tendency to get a little bit hot, but he also looked really light. So I think his last couple of races has taken more out of him than I anticipated. Um, that said, Engage, I thought, got the perfect trip. Uh, recruiting Ready is probably a better horse when he's on the lead, and he didn't have the ability to do that. Um, and then Whitmore, you know, he broke poorly. And I, I honestly think he was probably the best horse in the race. He probably should have won with a, a cleaner break. Um, so that was kind of my analysis of the race in hindsight, which was completely different in my analysis going into the Phoenix. The thing that kind of surprised me with Whitmore was obviously the bad break. I thought he was absolutely done after the break. He had been declining in form, it seemed, the last three races. And like in an another race we're going to talk about when horses are five and six and they start to kind of go downhill a little bit like that four or five races, they can't magically like turn their form around in one or two races. It usually takes them a while. So I thought he ran absolutely huge in this race. He's actually one of my favorite horses running still to this day. I thought recruiting ready was he liked Gulfstream park and he was kind of an in and out or he had run 94, a hundred 85 and a hundred. So I thought maybe he was going to, bounce back down the favorite. I think he was a better three-year-old than a four-year-old. I just, the one big race he has is the John neighbor, the grade two, where he was on slow fractions on the lead and everything else has just kind of been blase. He ran really good in the race at Churchill downs third by four against Matoli. But I think that everyone is just giving a pass to horses that are facing Matoli at this point in the sprint division and like, Oh, excuse he faced Matoli. And now they're just, you know, trying to find a thing or a reason to bet these horses back. It was the only race I bet the whole weekend. It like any of the opening choices. And I just kind of ended up on engage and he ended up, you know, getting that perfect trip and just getting by Whitmore. It would have been funny for me to not have bet Whitmore and have him have a bad break and still come up and beat me. Right. <laughs> right. Uh, I know. I mean, it was an incredible performance by Whitmore for sure. And Ramo quite even said going into the race, he didn't truly know if he had him at, you know, a hundred percent in terms of his fitness. Um, so, you know, with that one race back, definitely consider him in his second race off of the shelf, but yeah, promises fulfilled. I don't know. He's a tricky horse because in, in the Met mile, you know, Matoli was on him the entire way, if I can remember, and he didn't get out of the gate very well. Um, so he's kind of been in, and compromising positions and maybe he was a better three-year-old. I don't know, but I think he's better at seven, eight. And I think he is a horse that has just had back to back to back to back, very tough races. Um, and I think it's kind of caught up to him. So you think probably a layoff and hopefully we see him for his five-year-old season. 
would be the Who best. Who knows? I'm not going to try to get in the mind of Dale Rosa. <laughs> <laughs> we could see him come back very quickly. I have no idea. But uh, just looking at him as a physical um, and also, you know, his last two performances, it wouldn't be, I wouldn't be surprised if that happened. Did Lexitonian's third place finish at 46 to one surprise you at all? I know he was uh, switching surfaces from turf to dirt. Jack Sisterson does really well turf to dirt, 31%, big uh, $3, R- $3 ROI. Uh, for me, the, the two big workouts too, I'm never coming up with this horse to hit the board. It's just an automatic toss for me. Do you think I missed something there? No, no, not at all, because he had to dramatically improve in order to be a factor. Um, I think there, sometimes long shots like this um, hit the board because other horses don't show up, and I think that was probably a factor with Lexitonian. You know, uh, recruiting ready, obviously uh, regressed, promises fulfilled, regressed. You look at the other horses who kind of showed inside speed code blue tried to, he's a needs a lead type of horse. He didn't get the Mm -hmm. lead. Um, so I think if you go through and you kind of consider the trips that other horses had, he might've been in the right place at at the right time. That's how I kind of perceived it. Now I know with the next race, the Alcibiades, I know that you had had some interesting thoughts and comments on it. Why don't we let you take it over here? Going in, and I love two-year-old races and comparing them from the beginning of the year versus, you know, the or even middle part of the year, and then fast forward to the fall um, and even the um, Breeders' Cup. Because a horse like Perfect Alibi, and she ran well, there's no doubt about it, um, but, you know, I thought that she might have been a little bit vulnerable because she was kind of like the precocious filly um, early in the season. And I just thought that the uh, maiden special weight races from Saratoga were stronger than, say, the spinaway in the Adirondack. Um, so she, like I said, she still ran well. Um, but it's an interesting race to just go back and consider when you are handicapping these races in the fall, um, because I don't think graded stakes races for two-year-olds for two-year-olds are strong really the strongest races going into some of these fall um, graded stakes races. Um, Going into how the race was actually won, it was, again, won by a stalker who um, was in the outside paths. British Idiom, I'm not discrediting her performance. I mean, she was sensational. There's no doubt about it. Um, Because she chased the speed, I think there were three horses in front of her, all out on the front end, she had to make the lead and she kept on going. And I love to see a filly that has gears. It looked like she turned off and then she turned it back on um, exactly when Javier asked her to. Uh, Alondra is the horse I want out of this race because she broke slowly. She was kind of, if you watch the head on coming out of the gate, she was leaning on the gate. She broke slowly. She was bumped. She was far back. She had a run stifled at the quarter pole and she is a big, gangly filly. She just looks like that prototypical type that's going to improve, even though she won first time out and showed speed. She's going to improve. I haven't researched what Shigmigay he's going to ultimately do with her in terms of the Breeders' Cup Juvenile Fillies, but she just screams pick 
next time out because <laughs> of the trip that she had and just how she is physically um, and, and the trip that she had, I just thought really compromised her. She doesn't look like she's got, she's very agile um, because she's so big and kind of awkward at this stage of her career, but she ran an incredible race in my opinion. Alondra seemed to me on Twitter, like that was the wise guy horse. Obviously her, mm-hmm. her breaking bad was just not what they had asked for. Shug winning first time out for me is, Pretty much, you know, the horse has got to be super special for that to happen. Same when kind of Bill Mott gets a first-time winner. Uh, so I was like, what, what's the one horse that I just can't put in the ticket? So I was like, British Idiom, maiden special weight winner, good works for Brad Cox. That she was the favorite at 7-2 to two and didn't take any more money, I thought was kind of a negative, and I thought that she would also be too close to the pace. So I decided that would be like my last toss-out, and of course she goes on winning by six. I think it was a really, yeah. really good performance, a big 84 buyer. So she improved 14 points. Perfect alibi. I mean, her, her entire career street speaks for itself. 66, 69, 70, 71. And she ran a 73 in this race. And Alondra She's for all the bad. Stepping up. Exactly. And Alondra for all the trouble that she had only decreased four points in the buyer. I mean, I just, I think she's going to run kind of a British idiom type speed figure next time out. And that we mm-hmm. could, uh, I, I think with her being so slow out of the gate, she's probably going to be a, a wise guy, uh, you know, trips and traps type, type horse that is just going to take a ton of money. So depending on probably. where she shows up, it probably won't be worth a bet, but she's definitely her and Whitmore in the last two races are definitely the horses with the trouble that you want to have come out of this race. Yeah, I, I definitely agree. And I mean, I could, I could have seen British idiom improving because the filly that she beat at Saratoga in the maiden special weight, she came back to improve her figure too, winning that maiden special weight at Belmont. So by that concept alone, you would think that she would improve in her next start too. So I, British idiom, I'm not, like I said, she was really good. And it's very unusual to see two-year-old fillies at this stage of their career turn off the way that she does and really respond to the rider's cues. And she did that in both of her starts, not only this win, but in her first start. Um, so I think she's, you know, moving, moving along. That was the legitimate race and she is very talented for sure. Now you talked about, uh, I believe it's Miss Marissa coming back and winning. Are you a big fan of the, uh, key race concept or is it just kind of something that pops up from time to time for you? Um, yeah, probably the latter. It, it pops up from time to time. I like to see what horses have done outside of races just to get an idea and understanding of what horses beat, you know, like, um, that the Saffy Joseph runner, uh, earlier in the day, mm-hmm. you could see that all that entire field came back to just not do anything since July, I think was her last race. Um, whereas, you know, it's, it's encouraging to see a field uh, horses in a field go on and either improve or maintain form. Um, So yeah, I definitely consider that my handicapping, but I'm apprehensive to call a a race, a key race. I mean, unless there's five next out winners in it or something like that, but I just do it to see where horses have, how horses have exited the race, just to get an idea of the quality of that race. If you want to jump over to Saturday's card, race number six was the word for grade two, five and a half on the turf course. 
the winner was Stubbins. Joel Rosario was the rider. Doug O'Neill was the trainer. This horse, I just thought if you could take two back race out the, the stake race at Del Mar, this young horse was improving on the turf 90 to 95. I thought maybe you could get another forward move. And this is just something that I've slowly started to learn from reading older handicap books. Impermiss, the two to one favorite, is five. And I just, three straight races, including the bad race at Ascot, it just seemed like he was declining in form. And I just didn't really want any part of him at that price. Any other thoughts on this race, Gabby? Yeah, Impermiss did look a little bit vulnerable. It kind of boils down to me to the difference in surface. He absolutely freaked here earlier this year in the Shakerton. We've seen a lot of horses, especially on the turf, um, come from the West Coast and be successful. I mean, I know Stubbins, Stubbins' last race was at Kentucky Downs, but still, I think it boils down to surface. And this year's surface, or at least opening weekend, was rock solid. I mean, rock hard. Last 2018, the Woodford was run in 104 and change. This year was 101 and change, and it was a new track record. So that just goes to show you how hard the surface was. And just because Imprimis liked it in the spring doesn't necessarily mean he's going to like this type of surface. And overall, I didn't think he ran that bad of a race. I mean, he didn't run, you know, the way he did the Soaks run or the Shakerton, but um, he was uh, blocked a little bit at the quarter pole and couldn't really get his feet underneath of him. And he needs that kind of trip um, if he is closing from off of the pace. Whereas Stubbins, he got he got the trip. And as you said, he's an improving three-year-old. So um, overall, you know, opening weekend, we saw a lot of horses from California do well. And he definitely was one of them. He also looked fantastic, too. If you saw him in the paddock, he just looked like he was... Um, he's a horse that's in form and doing really, really well. I mean, I think the race made sense if you could see beyond the favorite. I know that a lot of people think, you know, West Coast sprinters are better than the East Coast, you know, dirt sprinters. And for the turf, it's the opposite. They think a lot of the horses on the East Coast are better than the West Coast. Do you think we're starting to see a change in that? It's hard to say. I mean, there's no better or there was no better turf sprinter than World of Trouble. So, but I guess as a group, it's probably, uh, I don't know. I still think that the East Coast turf sprinters are, are pretty good. Like I said, I think this in this case, Imprimis was a little bit vulnerable. And beyond Imprimis, on his best day, the race was completely wide open. Stubbins got the good trip. He was improving and he liked that the hard turf. Um, so I think it was just, I'm kind of just looking at this race in isolation and it, it just made sense. But in terms of the turf sprint division and comparing West coast to East coast, I don't know. I'd still probably have to lean East coast, but I'd have to think about it a little bit more. On to the last race I have for you today, Gabby race number nine mile and the 16th, the breeders futurity. The winner was Maxfield <laughs> Maxfield uh, one by five and a half lengths. Uh, the concept that came up in this race was just kind of a la hidden scroll with the three-year-olds. If a horse wins first time out with a big buyer on and off track, and now he's coming back to the dry track, you might see a little bit of regression, not improvement. 
as much as people think. And Maxfield, uh, there was a winner earlier on in the card that he had beaten that had come back to win. So it just kind of gave him that extra boost of confidence for the people who bet Maxfield. I didn't bet anybody in this race. I was tending to want to bet Governor Morris, but then he got a little bit too short in the odds line. What were your thoughts on the Breeders' Futurity? I liked Governor Morris a little bit. I just thought the post was probably going to compromise him a bit. And ultimately, uh, Javier actually got him into a pretty decent position considering how races were being were won over the course of the weekend. Kind of, you know, that stalking trip, outside paths. Um, but the thing with him, Governor Morris, excuse me, um, he actually ran a pretty good race because it wasn't the fastest pace, but the pace seemingly collapsed. And he had to make that premature first move into the pace. And that's really hard for a horse stretching out to two turns for the first time on, in my opinion, a tiring surface. Um, to make that sustained move. Whereas Maxfield had the better of the trip where he kind of made that delay move. And then, I mean, he was probably not going to beat him anyway. He was just much the best. But in hindsight, I really don't think it was a bad race for Governor Morris. I think how the race was run, he actually ran really, really well. In terms of Maxfield, he clearly has a lot of talent. I think the fact that he debuted at a mile definitely definitely helped him get the mile in a 16th i mean if you're if you're stretching out if you're a two-year-old and you're stretching out from five and a half furlongs on the dirt on a slappy track to a tiring surface two turns mile in a 16th versus the mile at churchill um i think it just prepares you better and i think that was the case with maxfield and i think he's very talented but if they go to the breeders cup juvenile which i think they will he's going to have to get out of the gate better because he didn't mm-hmm. get out of the gate first time out. He didn't do it in the breeders fraternity and his running style at Santa Anita is going to severely compromise him when he's going against horses like Dennis's moment in eight rings. I mean, so he ran really well in the breeders fraternity, but he's going to have to get out of the gate moving forward. Do you think that come Breeders' Cup time, this horse might be a little bit of an underlay based on how well he ran today, knowing that Santanita is that speed-favoring track and that he has to fix the brake problem before we're really looking to give him, you know, a shot if he's, you know, bet down to five, six to one? Yeah, I guess. I guess I have to kind of think about what a fair price would be on him in the Breeders' Cup Juvenile. But if, yeah, surely if he's around that or any lower I definitely have to consider it to think about, you know, I just don't know if his running style is adequate for um, a race like the Breeders' Cup Juvenile at at Santa Anita. But, um, you know, I I say that and I also want to, you know, congratulations to Brendan Walsh on preparing this horse and getting his first grade one win. I mean, it was a brilliant performance, but we as handicappers obviously have to analyze it, especially moving forward to the big stage like the the, uh, world championships at the Breeders' Cup. Well, that's all I have for today's podcast. I want to thank my special guest, Gabby Gaudette, for coming on. Thank you so much, Gabby. Thank you, Spencer. That's going to do it on this episode of Redboard Rewind. This show has been a production of In the Money Media. Our president is Pierre Thomas Fornital. Our chief creative officer is Jonathan Kinchin. And In the Money Media business manager is Drew Coatney. I'm Spencer Luganville, and we will see you next time. No way.
Nothing.